Thanks for joining us <laughs> hey, on this week's yeah. installment. Um, <laughs> yeah, cool. I never, uh, I have to admit, when Dan and I started this, as we like to refer to it, this goofy thing, I never, I did not imagine that you would be a guest, but... Um, <laughs> I, I completely understand that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have you. Um, and obviously you just put out this new book and, and we'll talk about that, but, um, I, I won't let you get off the hook in terms of, um, yeah, telling, telling our fine listeners a little bit about yourself and your story. Um, obviously I know some of it, um, though certainly not all of it. Um, but, but the pieces that I do know, you know, I think you have a pretty interesting background just in general. Um, but I think we'd be curious to know a little bit about sort of your upbringing, but before we get into that, um, let's just talk a little bit for a moment, just how, how you've been with, uh, with uh, the craziness of the current world. Yeah, no, we're, we're doing good. I mean, I, you know, I went out and I think I told you this, I, I went out and I bought a bunch of masks from one of my favorite, uh, jeans makers called lucky brand. And uh, I got them, and then I realized, oh, they have to tie them on like I'm some kind of neurosurgeon or something, which I'm not. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of inconvenient unless you're in an operating theater for eight hours. So then uh, I found masks that were made by another favorite clothing company of mine called Stance, which is based here in San Clemente. And I bought one of those. You know, all these guys have a, a thing where you buy something and they donate stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stance donates socks to nurses and doctors. Cool. And, uh, and yeah, it's very cool. Those are and, good uh, socks too. Yeah, they're good socks. So yeah, no, everything's good. We've, you know, we, we mask up when we go out to stores. We don't really go to stores that much. We don't go to restaurants. We, uh, you know, we order stuff and food sometimes and it comes and they leave it on the doorstep, ring the doorbell and run, uh, sort of like, a you know, uh, an eighth grader teepeeing your house, I guess. And, <laughs> sure. uh, and, uh, you know, we've got your brother Paul here with us cause he can't get back to New York and he's been cooking. And, uh, uh, when he cooks, it's, uh, it's been amazing. We had Thai chicken one night this week and then he made shrimp etouffee. So have yeah. you ever done that before Paul? He said, no, but he, yeah, it doesn't he matter. It he, he throws down in the kitchen. He does indeed. Very cool. Yeah, I keep having this thing with delivery people. Um, I'm talking about them now like they're a different like class or something, which sounds really <laughs> terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> these, yeah, they keep, I, it's in my notes on Caviar and Uber Eats or whatever to like, just, just leave it at the door. Just leave it at the door. And sometimes they will make eye contact with me through my window and I will wave at them and be like, we're all good. And then five minutes later, I will see that they are still just standing there picking their nose on my porch. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I waved at you. I said, yeah, uh-huh. We're good. We're good. Gave them a thumbs up. They gave me a thumbs up. And then, and I don't know, maybe that's why they're delivering food and, and maybe that's harsh, but um, it keeps happening. I'm just, I don't understand. Anyways, uh, cool. Well, yeah, I, I feel like that question is, is starting to become... Um, sort of moot as we get deeper and deeper into this thing. Cause it's like, you know, we've all been doing what everyone else has been doing, just yeah. hanging at home and doing our best to, uh, yeah, to stop spreading this thing. So, um, 
Cool. Well, Dad, why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about about yourself, where you grew up, how you grew up, how uh, religion and spirituality played into that, all all those fine things. Um, sure. Yeah, wherever you would like to start. Uh, you know, so I'll start at the beginning. I'm uh, I grew up in Glendale, California. Um, if you read uh, the Raymond Chandler mysteries which are about L.A. in the 30s. Uh, Glendale is where the bad guy always went to meet his mistress. Uh, <laughs> which I, after my dad died, I told my mom, be careful here. Anyway, sorry, that was... Uh, <laughs> um, so I grew up in Glendale. Um, my, uh, my parents were pretty different. My, my mother was uh, uh, an immigrant from Austria. Uh, she came to the U.S., uh, at the age of 29 and, uh, she, my dad was, uh, an attorney, uh, later a judge, uh, his parents were Jewish and they were immigrants from Latvia or we think was Latvia at the turn of the, actually before. In the 19th century, they came to the U.S. Wait, just to uh, back up a second, what what brought yeah. your mom to the U.S.? Do you know? I do. Uh, my 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 mom worked at the U.S. Embassy in Vienna after the Second World War. My dad was in the legal department. Now he claimed he was the legal attaché there. I don't know. Maybe he was. I don't know. But you know, people have <laughs> memories, and you know, so. But they worked together. They knew each other there. They worked together my, in, in Austria. In Austria, in Vienna. Okay. And my dad's parents, my dad was married there, by the way. My dad's parents sponsored my mom to come to the U.S. And she came to the U.S. and moved to Washington, D.C. and worked for the National Education Association. Um, okay. So, um my dad was 20 years older than my mom. And uh, when we used to play catch, in, in my case, in the front yard, he was using a baseball mitt that I think would have been out of date for Christy Mathewson. And if you don't know who that is, he was somebody in the Cy Young era who pitched for the Yankees or you know, the right. Phillies or who knows. So to give some perspective, your, your dad was born in 1902? Four. 1904. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So he was older yeah. when you were born, and so he was a couple generations right. away from. Yeah. He, he yeah. was a. He was. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> they. Uh, uh, my dad took a job. He worked for the Social Security Administration, and he took a job at an outpost in Glendale, California. Uh, they bought a house. Uh, a kid down the street stole the mail. My mom went to go retrieve it. Uh, she met the, the the lady of the house there who invited her to go to a mother's class at a church. And my mom started going. And uh, later on, my dad started going as well. And we as little kids, as long as I can remember, we grew up in this church. What, what, uh, kind, so of, what kind of church was it? It was called, uh, so originally it was called the Swedish Covenant Church. It's now called the Evangelical Covenant Church of America. Okay. It's, uh, it's traditions are in the Lutheran uh, church. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a fairly conservative church with one exception. It was in Pasadena, and it was very close to Fuller Theological Seminary, 
So that kind of skewed it left a little bit, a little left of center. Sure. Okay. But so, um, so both of your parents, though, were not really raised super religious or, no, or maybe culturally my, no, not, religious, like yeah, culturally, no. culturally Christian for grandma, culturally Jewish for, for grandpa. A- a- absolutely right. I mean, culturally Catholic. That's the, that's everybody in Austria is Catholic. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember uh, making a profession of faith uh, as a little kid. Because I didn't want to die and go to hell, basically. Right. right. How very Catholic <laughs> of you. <laughs> not an uncommon story. <laughs> sure. Um, so, yeah, that's that was me as a kid. I uh, was a pretty compliant guy. Uh, somehow that didn't rub off on my offspring. But that's okay. It's, you know, made life interesting. <laughs> Andrew's um, an all right, dude. Andrew's a great dude. Yeah. (laughs) And he has great friends too, Dan. I will say that. Um, Did, was your family pretty involved in the church or was it a thing of just, you (sighs) went every Sunday? No. Well, yes, we were involved. I think we, as kids, my sisters and I were more involved, like in the youth group, we would, because they had stuff all the time for us. And so we were always over there doing something playing volleyball. I mean, I was probably there when I was in high school, a couple of nights a week, you know, they had a thing on Tuesday nights and then I'd go over there on Friday nights and play volleyball with, you know, uh, you know, adults basically. Right. Uh, you know, we were, we played basketball. We played, we had a Monday night basketball thing. Uh, the neighborhood would come in and, uh, it was not the nicest neighborhood, but those dudes could, they could hoop and it was good and it was fun. And, you know, we got our he- heads handed to us a few times, but it was all right. Um, yeah. So we were, we were there a lot doing stuff and uh, we had a lot of friends there. Um, my parents were a little less involved, but they were involved. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of, you know, it's, you're doing so much. It's really part of, part of your life, right? You have a lot of friends there. You like being there. Sure. Yeah. It was easy. Would you say like in high school you were, you know, like how serious were you about sort of, I guess, faith or spirituality as opposed to just sort of like, you know, you have this community of friends where you get to hoop and play volleyball and and all that good stuff. Um, I I was fairly serious about it. Um, More so than some, less so than others. Right. And, um, you know, I was trying and trying to understand things. And, you know, at at that point in your life, you kind of take things for granted. Okay. This is what I believe. So this is what I'm doing. It's later in life. You, 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 especially for somebody like me, kind of grew up in the church. It's later in life. You start to say, okay, is this, let me just do a quick check on this to see if this is really the right thing for me. And just the right thing, period. And so I've, I've done a fair bit of that over the years um, just because of things that have happened in my life. And, you know, we, as you, when you guys were kids, we would, we would go to church every Sunday and we'd take you to the vacation Bible schools and all the stuff that the churches did. Um, but I don't think we had a, like a super religious home, did we? I didn't place Bible verses on your door. 
or <laughs> no, no, I I wouldn't say that. Um, and in fact, I have a very distinct memory of, uh, and this is by no means to to call out you or mom. Um, it's it's a fond memory actually. Of I guess it had been a little while since we had been to church. I can't say exactly why. We were definitely still going to Sierra Madre and not. Um, uh, why am I blanking on Lake Avenue? Um, so yeah, we were still going to Sierra Madre Congregational and I remember it, it must've been, maybe it had been like a month or six weeks since we'd gone to church. And, and I, it was a function of nothing other than that. It's a family that has four boys between the ages of five and 13, you know, like I was yeah. young and I think we were just busy with all of the, the soccer games and whatever. Um, but I remember, you know, mom was sort of upset that it had been a while since the family had been to church and, and we were still sort of like, I think the, me and the brothers had sort of gotten into this mood of like, well, we haven't been going to church. So why would we like, can't we just keep not going to church? And mom was like, no, we're having, um, we're having church at home basically. And she like, you know, we did like a little Bible study, but that happened like that happened one time. I mean, it was one time and then, you know, yeah, we grew up, you know, going to church most Sundays. I would say it really wasn't until, um, you know, it wasn't until we moved to Colorado and sort of found Flatirons that like, I think religion became a more central piece of, of at least the family unit at home. Maybe you, yeah, that's sort of, that was sort of my feeling. Uh, well, I mean, it, it was, it was a a big part of it, things for us. And, um, you know, I haven't changed what I believe. I just have kind of spent a time making sure that it is something I really want to believe. I mean, faith is, it's interesting thing. It requires faith, right? You have to take a step of faith, right, Dan? Right. And, (laughs) and, um, so it's also, it's also good to say, well, Am I taking a step in the right direction? Yeah. Is this what I want to do? Is this what I want to be? And um, and then if that's the case, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not, I'm going to church every Sunday is great uh, and good. I'm not knocking it. I, we do it well online now, but I'm not going to be moored to somebody's uh, conventions that stem from the Victorian era. Uh, because that's what the Victorian church did. So that's what everybody does. I don't want to be a church lady. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, we, we're involved, we go, I look, I, it really, for me, it starts to boil down to, um, I, I would like to be salt and light on this planet in what I say and do. So that means things like when I see some, jerk on an airplane i haven't flown in three months being you know you've seen all these guys do stupid stuff yelling at a flight attendant or something i want to be cool to that flight attendant i want to be cool to the person sitting next to me on the airplane i want to be nice and i want to greet the homeless guy that i see out there in san francisco when i'm when i'm there at least look him in the eye and say hello and if i can give him money i'm going to give him something i just want to that i think that's what jesus calls us to do and that's how I'm trying to conduct my life as imperfectly as I'm doing it. That's what I'm trying to do. 
yeah, I think we, I think we appreciate that. And just like the acknowledgement of that a lot of the work can be done outside of the church and it's not yeah. just the showing up on Sunday and it's yeah. kind of being that example all the time as, yeah. as best you can. So. Um, try to try to connect for me or at least like provide maybe some kind of cohesive um, line between sort of like high school Dave, who's, you know, going to youth group and, you know, doing his best to, to follow the teachings of Jesus, you know, as, as well as you can as a 16 year old kid to sort of like, you know, you being a father of four young boys in, um, (laughs) Southern California to you being, you know, in Colorado to the point where, you know, like, like to the point where you are actually, and not saying that you didn't put your faith into into works in other ways, but to the point where you're like, I'm going to go to Afghanistan for a while and help them get clean water. You know, how do you get from sort of the just like kid at youth group that wants to play volleyball to this adult who's like, it's time to it's time to start, you know, walking the walk. So uh, faith is a journey and the journey is up and down mountains, really. I mean, life is a journey. You go up, you go down, you go sideways, you're through the, you're through the river, you're in the trees. It's kind of like playing disc golf, huh, Andrew? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. And um, so, you know, I went off to college. I joined a Bible study at this little, at the, uh, this is in Davis, California, at this um, Baptist church. And they, it was like super intrusive and legalistic. I remember the guy asking me, oh, tell me all about your girlfriend. I want to know more details about like, like, dude, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And I, so I just kind of, kind of wandered away. I I got married. Uh, We started going to church again. Um, I, you would not, you were not even, well, in 1986 or 87, I was the president of, what was called the Younger Member Forum of the American Society of Civil Engineers, Los Angeles, whatever section, branch, whatever they called it. And um, there was a woman in our group who said, hey, you know, I know there's this orphanage in Mexico that really needs help. And um, we said, "Okay, well, what do they need? She said, well, I don't know, but they just need help. I said, well, we'll help them, but somebody has to figure out what they need. She said, well, I'll go, I'll go check it out because they're part of my church, which is Hollywood Presbyterian Church, which is what she went to, not saying anything negative about them. So she goes down, she comes back and says, man, they need, they got electrical problems. They got a, they got a little well that's not pumping out clean water. They got this, they got that. So we organized a group of engineers and construction contractors. We got a bunch of equipment, uh, and we went down there and actually dug a well into the stream bed and put an actual proper well casing in there and a pump. I remember they had an elect- overhead electrical line that the little kids could jump up and grab. So we put in maybe 100 yards of conduit so we could run the electrical line underground. Uh, not, to be too, not to put too fine a point on it. They had a septic tank with no outlet. Well, that's not how those things work. I think pretty much everybody knows that. <laughs> so we had to we had to cork that uncork that thing, which I had the pleasure of doing, and then we drained it into uh, a little agricultural area 
because that's a perfect way to uh, irrigate uh, those crops. It was it was corn in this case. So we did a bunch of stuff, and I remember the lady saying, oh, "I'm so glad you guys are here. So glad you were not you were not a church." I'm like, "What are you talking about? Who cares what we are?" She said, "Well, the church came down here and they did all this stuff, but they left it all half done." Now that's not a, that's not because it was a church. It's just how some people are. Sure. We wanted to finish stuff, and I thought, okay, I have some engineering skills. I should use those. But I had a family, and I was raising a family, and I didn't want to go off for two weeks. And leave my wife with. I actually, I did want to go off or to leave my wife with four kids. <laughs> but I was right. smarter than that, <laughs> and way smarter. And and uh, you know, I so I just didn't. I didn't have another opportunity. And then we were living in Colorado, and um, the church was doing stuff in Afghanistan, and they were talking about uh, digging some wells so they would have fresh water. Well, I'm a wastewater guy. So I went up to the pastor of the church, Jim, and I said, Jim, if there's water, there's wastewater. And he looked at me and said, you're an idiot. These, these guys, they're, they, it's like three gallons a day per person. They're washing with it, cooking with it. It's consumed. There is no wastewater. They have outhouses. Right. Like, oh, but you said you should go over there. So I went with a group. Um, I did a bunch of like, I don't know, little water like uh percolation tests and some other stuff uh i remember saying why are we going to afghanistan because they train you you do not proselytize i'm a lousy proselytizer anyway i'd tell you that but you don't you just don't you say nothing right you're there to help people not to not to shout jesus at them yeah exactly and uh you know, you think maybe you could because, you know, the dude's wearing a Houston Rockets cap or something. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. going. No, you just you don't. You say nothing. Right. Uh, I said, so what, Jim, why are we going to Afghanistan? He goes, because Jesus said to take care of the widows and orphans. He didn't say which widows and orphans. He said, take care of the widows and orphans. And there are plenty of them over there. So that was uh, that was pretty life changing. That was 2008. Um, I came back and I. I organized some guys. We did a um, we did a kind of a green power master plan for them, saying, "Guys, what could you do? Could you could you put up a, a turbine or solar panels? What would be the best for you?" And we did this analysis, and we recommended solar panels. And the, remember, the guy who one of the guys who was in charge of you know the, the agency over there, his name was Mohammed Khan, said, "Nope." Like you know, we're emailing. Nope. I'm like, why? Because somebody can drive up in a Toyota pickup truck and steal a solar panel. But if I put a 40-foot tower with a wind turbine on it, I don't care how much the wind blows. I know they can't steal it. Like, ah, of course. So I had that opportunity. And then uh, I rem the church was supporting two women from Boulder who had done a summer in Uganda working at an orphanage and there was a lot of graft and stuff there and the people around the orphanage took off. And so these two girls called their dad and said, we're not coming home. Uh, send us 10,000 bucks. <laughs> we got to run this orphanage. <laughs> so the church started supporting them and I was saying hi to somebody. It was Christmas Eve ish. was saying hi to 
the guy went to a guy went to Afghanistan with Ron Barnes, the guy's name. And he's like, oh, 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 stop, stop. This is the guy I was telling you about. These guys have a big water problem at their orphanage in Uganda. When can you go? <laughs> like uh, by myself? No, never. <laughs> with a group? Yeah, let's let's work it out. So we did. We worked out, worked it out. I went over and uh, did that in 2012. Uh, and uh, honestly, um, you get so much more out of doing that stuff than you give. It is. I don't want to use the word blessing, but it is a blessing. I mean, it is just a very powerful. I in in Uganda, the little kids. You walked. We walked a mile from the house we were staying at to the orphanage every day and every night. And these little kids, street kids, and maybe not street kids, but little kids, they called you Mzungu, which I, I think is sort of a, it might mean crazy white person. I'm not sure, but it means something like that. And they would come running at you and give you a fist bump. And it wasn't just one or two or five. It was dozens. Everywhere you went, you'd hear this scream, Mzungu, and they'd come out and give you a fist bump. I, I remember telling somebody, I bet when John Bon Jovi goes on stage, he doesn't feel as good as we're feeling right now. That's amazing. Yeah, I would imagine that that provides a pretty big shift in perspective, those experiences of going to those countries and seeing what those people are, like the conditions that they're living under. Yeah, it does. Um, and, and they're happy people. And the kids all have smiles on their faces. Uh, honestly, Dan, I tell you the biggest takeaway for me is we're all God's children. There's all, there, when, when we were in Afghanistan, uh, the church had put some little water system thing in and it was up on a hill and I, it hadn't been finished. And I, I asked, Hey, can we go look at that thing? I'm just curious. And we're up there on this hill and um, this guy comes walking up the hill, older guy. He's not wearing the shawar kameez outfit. He's wearing somebody's cast offs. He's got some blue sweatpants on somebody's old, like polo brand button down shirt and, you know, the Afghan cap. And he says to the interpreter, Hey, what are these guys doing? And he explains it to him. And then uh, the guy says something else and we start to walk away. So what that guy say, he said, um, yeah, I told him, you know, you guys are working on the water system and trying to get it going. And uh, he said, and that's great. We really need water. Um, and we'd like jobs too. And if possible, we'd like some milk for our babies. And yeah, doesn't everybody want that? He's just the same as we are. For sure. He's, got a, he's just got a way hipper hat on <laughs> for sure. the rest of us. Well, and nothing will make you sort of, I guess, question or deconstruct, you know, the quote unquote American dream than seeing uh, a community of people you know, by our standards, impoverished, third world, yeah. um, but full of smiles and joy and happiness yeah. because they have each other and they have love for each other and they have community. Um, they have all the things that really matter um, that I think, you know, any miserable, wealthy person will tell you that they're they're missing out on. And so yeah. um, I know my experiences in like doing missions in, in Mexico, I think those were some of my biggest takeaways as well was sort of like, oh, wow, there's a... Uh, yeah, there's a richness here that they have um, that that is powerful. Yeah. Cool. Um, so obviously, you're you you still attend church. 
Um, I think you've touched on this a little bit, but, um, you know, for you, I guess today, um, what, what would you say it means to you to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus? Well, I think it's exactly what you just said. I'm, I'm trying to be a follower of Jesus as best I understand it. And I'm, you know, I listen to people that I respect. I, I listen to Rick Warren, who's pastor of Saddleback Church. I think he's a pretty good guy. I've met him a couple times. I think he's, unless he's one phenomenal actor, which I'm pretty sure he's not, he's a really sincere, loving, good guy. Uh, you met my friend Ryan. We go on long bike rides and we have these crazy three hour conversations that um, that are really good. And, but, I, you know, we talk about what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, after he was on your podcast, uh, I said, Ryan, Proverbs three, five and six. Let me let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it means to acknowledge him in all your ways. And we spent two hours talking about that. Mm -hmm. So, and then, I, I mean, you know, you, the, the Bible is kind of the source. Now, it's, I know it's somewhat subject to interpretation, but some things are pretty straight up, you know, no matter how you read it. So I, that's what that's what it means to me. I think that is a, a pretty fulfilling life. I think it's different than a lot of people. Um, it puts others first, which for me, I I like. Um, so yeah, cool. Dan, you have any follow up questions on that? Um, yeah. Do you find that most of the people that you're close with? are identify as Christian or do you have a lot of relationships out outside of Christianity as well? Uh, yeah, no, I, yes. The answer is yes. I, I mean, our, our family, um, Connie, my wife's family are Christians. Um, I have a lot of friends who are, but I work in the big bad world and most of my one of my very best friends is a guy named Don Don Bassett. He grew up Catholic. I don't really even know what he believes, but he is a phenomenal guy, and uh, you know somebody I've known for a long time, and would and is really just yeah, like I said, one of my best friends. So you don't have to be now. I wouldn't be friends with somebody wearing a MAGA hat. I'm sorry. <laughs> just me you don't have to apologize <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> but yeah we don't actually, we don't fuck you, we don't I'm fuck a, with people in maga hats dad we yeah, don't, no no way not here in I portland a, not at, not at this point i have a really good friend who who i've known through work who's a christian guy uh who is like a militant republican and i had to make a decision that when I'm with this guy, we just can't talk about politics, but we can be friends and talk about other stuff that's that we have in common. Yeah. And we've known each other a long time. We're pretty close. Uh, or I could walk away from him because I'm like, that, that's nuts. How can anybody yeah. buy this stuff? I mean, what's it like living in 
you know, you live in Orange County. You live at the very yes. southern tip of Orange County, so it's a it's a little different. I I would imagine San Clemente is slightly, you know, of the cities in Orange County, it's probably a, a little bit more liberal, but still, Orange County is certainly a kind of a conservative zone. Um, I mean, what how, how does that feel to to see? Um, you know, I guess there's this new. It's it's not a new thing, but it's really taken taken its fullest form in the last couple of weeks in terms of this idea of Karens um, being very you know all doing all sorts of Karen type things out there. And I think that a great example of that is a follower, a proclaimed follower of Jesus, a proclaimed Christian who also is a hardcore Trump supporter. I mean, those two <laughs> things just do not go together. Obviously you see that, but what's it like? And in Portland, we, we are just not, you know, I don't know anybody here in Portland personally who's a Trump supporter. And I see maybe someone once a month with like a Trump thing on their car. And usually they're washing uh, to Washington plate or like some other state. So California. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, we're in such a bubble here in Portland, but I'm curious yeah. what, what that's like and sort of what that, you know, what that stirs in you in terms of, in terms of like, yeah, I mean, just like the religion in general, I think a lot of people um, outside of Christianity have, have a problem it's a it's an easy way for them to put the religion down, right? It's because they're like, look at all these dipshit Karens who are you know waving their MAGA flags and not wearing masks in grocery stores, and then at the same time, you know, posting some Instagram thing about the Bible, and it's like the Bible <laughs> is you know it has all right. kinds of things against what. So I don't know. I'm just curious, sort of, what your experience is with oh, that. Well, I mean, I think people who've identified as Christ followers have done some pretty wacky things over the years. Sure. Uh, sure. You know, so um, I think for some people it's just a misunderstanding or well, that's not misunderstanding gives them to cut some slack. Let me, let me back up in the fifties. Uh, Eisenhower, some religious leaders, I won't name names. And, and business leaders, the Chamber of Commerce, kind of got together and said, let's let's have a campaign to get people to go to church. Well, the religious leaders like that. Oh, yeah, let's have people, more people go to church. The president said, fine, that's fine. Um, and the business leaders had this nefarious plan that if more people went to church, they could kind of use religious leaders to kind of pitch that business was good. Big business was better. You know, it was, a, and it was the Republican party was in on this too. Uh, there's a great book by a guy named Kevin Cruz. He's a Princeton historian. Uh, I think it's called one nation under God. Uh, it's I'm fascinated by 20th century history, and this is a really great read. So you have that going on and that kind of little cultural thing has that that vein has continued on through Christianity that, oh, well, Christians are Republicans. No, I don't think so. I don't think that I, you know, one of the things well, I really respect about Rick Warren, he will not talk about politics with anybody, anybody. That's cool. He was, and that's, that's he was, saying uh, something in Orange County too, because I'm sure there is. are people who and are really, he, was, uh, he gave the invocation at Obama's, at President Obama's inauguration. He just, he has meetings with other high, like uh, somebody in Trump's cabinet called him up 
and wanted to meet with him. I, 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 and he, Rick's response was, sure, I won't talk about politics. I'm not going to talk about politics with this guy. Sure. Well, I and, think it's it's safe to say in America in particular, and I think there's a version of this in probably different parts. There's certainly a version of it in Europe. I think it's sort of died out a little bit. There's still a version of it in South America, but there's sort of like, you know, there's always the the surface layer of the church, right? Which is has been co-opted by whatever politics of the day um, and what, you know, however it can best kind of serve the people in power, unfortunately. I mean, there's a reason that Catholicism was created and structured the way that it was throughout Europe and has existed that way for, you know, millennia. Um, and there's a reason that uh, Protestantism has sort of like moved in all of these different ways throughout America. Um, but underneath that is what what I would consider, I guess, maybe like the true church, which is people who, you know, are actu- actually understand what the church is, what Jesus was teaching. Um, and, you know, Dan and I were talking about this recently even um, and, and I brought it up on a couple episodes and, and you might not agree with this, but it's interesting to me, even just in the new Testament, um, you sort of see, like you see what Jesus teaches and then you already see sort of like Paul twisting it just a little bit to not to, not to serve him, but to sort of start a political movement of sorts for that time. Um, and so it's, I understand why it's like every generation or, or era or century or whatever you want to call it has sort of had its own form of like, well, how, you know, of a group of people. And, and I wouldn't even say that it necessarily has to be nefarious. Sometimes it is just sort of like, well, how do we use this for like something? Um, and sometimes that something ends up being something kind of ugly, but, um, underneath that, you're always going to have people like Rick Warren, right? Or like, you know, Dan and I are big fans of, of Richard Rohr, who's a, a Franciscan friar, who's a follower of Jesus, but but seems to really, really, really get it at, the, at its deepest level. Um, and yeah, that dude is not interested in talking about, um, you know, I've, I've brought this up on another podcast too. It's like, those, those people aren't really interested in talking about the burning trees in the forest because they're just like, well, of course, you know, humans exist. So they're going to set some shit on fire from time to time. But they just see the whole forest. They see sort of like, you know, this. they have this much greater perspective and understanding of um, what it means to be human and, and what it means to exist at all. Um and that's not to say that they don't care about the tree that's on fire, but similar to what you're talking about with, with your pastor being like, I'm not going to engage in, in these politics. It's like, yeah, because it doesn't serve anything in terms of like your own heart and your own condition. And ultimately, the way that we're going to help steer this world in the right direction is for every person to, um, to work on themselves in that way. Uh, and just sort of like Proverbs uh, 3, 5 through 6 says, you know, part of that is sort of like leaning into uh, something deeper, something better, something bigger than yourself that will that will pull the best out of you. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think it's really easy um, 
for, especially for non-followers, but for anyone really to see the people who are sort of using religion in a way um, that it was not meant to be used. Um, and I think, I think it makes a lot of, uh, you know, self-proclaimed ex-Christians very bitter um, when they, when they think of like a Karen type person in Orange County. Um, but I think it's also important to remember that there are a lot of people who are not like that. Um, and, and I, we've met a lot of them in doing this podcast. Um, even just our guest last week is a really great example. And I think you are as well. So, um, yeah, I'm, that's the end of my rant. <laughs> oh, so much, so much in there. And, um, I don't even know where to start. I was thinking about, I'm, I was actually trying to listen to you and not think about what I was going to say next. We have that problem. I was just talking to Andrew about that during the last episode that I need like a notepad. Right, right. So I don't forget all of my thoughts. Let me start over from the top. So <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, I, I think um, one of the things I would say is this, I think a follower of Jesus and I will point to somebody like Rick because I really think he is sincerely. He's not somebody I know. I mean, I met him twice. Um, a follower of Jesus. Um, you put what Jesus asks you to do first before you put stuff out there for yourself. And that's hard to do. And I think about my own life. I mean, I was trying to build, I was trying to be a follower of Jesus. I was trying to be a husband trying to be a father, trying to coax my kids into being better athletes so my standing could go up in the community. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, with the other dads. I think I remember a thing or yeah, two about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Formal apology, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Who doesn't want to uh, watch their kid hit home runs, though? Yeah. How come you can't be like Johnny? Anyway, um, you know, it's trying to do all, it's hard. And, it's, you know, at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm I'm working 45 or 50 hours a week. I remember somebody, you know, saying, Oh, we, let's schedule little league practice. When do you get off work? Get off work. I never get off work. <laughs> I, I work for a big engineering company. If somebody needs me, they call me. I'm working. Yeah. Anyway, I, it's, I, it, it makes it, our society makes it very hard to do that. It just makes it very hard. Sure. And I mean, I believe in in John three sixteen, you know, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and I know that that's a struggle for some people. I heard your your uh, LDS friend talk about that, and but it's the step of faith that I've taken. Sure, and I believe that. I've also read Rob Bell, who says, "Hey, maybe God has a bigger tent than that," and I'm totally cool with that if He does. Love I'm totally Rob cool Bell. I'm just going to take the path Bell. that I think is the right path. Sure. But I, yeah. I'm totally cool with Rob Bell. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's great. And I think also a big part of that Proverbs thing that we're mentioning is the leaning not on your own understanding of things yeah. is the thing that sticks out to me. And, and really learning from other people, especially right now, I think it's a big time for learning from others as we, you know, try to try to reach equality for other other people in yeah. this country and the world yeah so that, and that's that's such a great uh, interpretation of what that means because it means a lot of different things it means you can learn from others it means that the big picture you're don't you you're not gonna you can't interpret it necessarily 
Um, and it means even in the little things, you know, this is one of the things I was telling my friend Ryan. So I'm riding my bike by myself on a Saturday morning. I pass a guy. He catches up to me. I look at him and say, dude, that's a cool bike. He had a, Andrea had a vintage 1980s vintage bike. Super cool. All decked out, all shined up and everything. He starts talking to me. He's riding with me now. He rides with me for an hour and a half. Talking to me. I'm thinking, okay, I'm leaning. If I lean not into my own understanding right now, I'm going to say, for some reason, this guy is here and God put him in my path. I do not know why. I'm just going to let him talk. I'm not here to proselytize or anything. We rode. And then he's like, okay, see you later, man. Hopefully it was cool for him. It was fine for me. And, you know, I just, I don't know. And maybe it was a nothing, but I don't know that. I just don't. Yeah, I think it just comes to like, um, yeah, just keeping your heart open to the world and to to life and and to the things that you encounter. Um, yeah. And I think Jesus was pretty big on that. Um, yep. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and not underestimating who can drop a nugget of knowledge on you. It can be sure. it can be that homeless man. Sure. You know, you, you ride your bicycle, you, you ride your bicycle a lot every week. I try to every once a week. I try to. Yeah. Okay. Just go out for a long 30 or 40 mile ride. It's a couple, two or three hours, no headphones, no music. It's very cathartic. I just let my brain talk to me. Yeah. I was going to ask you if that was a pretty kind of meditative thing for you or something that is important for your, your mental week to week. It it is, it is in essence, the only time I have uh, with myself um, of any extended amount. Yeah. I would venture to say that that is maybe um, whether you know it or not, it's, it has to be a core piece of your sort of like spiritual practice you know there's there's serving others there's you know going to church and learning and all these things but but having you know especially with your life as busy as as it is um having that time to just to just be and and i think there's something powerful in doing something where your body is fully um engaged in an activity to the point where yeah it sort of allows your brain to like show up in a way that it doesn't normally if you're like just sitting on the couch when you're just sitting on the couch like it's hard to it's hard to engage those parts of your brain but when you're like doing a steady thing like over and over and over for hours um it definitely seems to like stimulate something else in your brain where you know all of a sudden you're having I guess thoughts and, and, and patterns of thoughts that wouldn't typically arise through your just normal daily actions. I think you're right. I'd never thought of it that way. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, one or two mornings a week, I'll go for, a, I call it a run. It's not a run. I walk, jog a little bit, but uh, they, I usually have headphones on when I take them off, you know, you, that same thing happens, but I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's kind of a chance to let your brain think about, focus on things, think about things. Although sometimes horrifyingly I'll be singing a Chris Tomlin song 
and I cannot get it out of my head <laughs> for two and a half hours. <laughs> the worst. I'm cool with it for 20 minutes, but after that, it starts to become difficult. Well, I have a confession to make, and that is that Chris Tomlin is, uh, I don't like Chris Tomlin. I don't like his songs. I don't like his deal. <laughs> I think that he's, I think that he's trash. And that's, that's okay. pretty harsh. Uh, and if people out there like his songs, fine. But as someone who played a lot of worship music um, and knew some people who knew Chris Tomlin, I don't think that I don't think that guy's the real deal. I think that he's I think he's full of it. Anyways, oh, I'll end that rant Fair there enough. as well. <laughs> Fair enough. Hot take. Hot take. Yeah, try some. Uh, you know, I think Hillsong uh, United is still is still putting out good stuff. I still like Hillsong. Um, Man, uh, Uncle Uncle Mark and and Mikey did like uh, during this quarantine did a a song. I can't remember the the name of it, um, but it's funny. It, it it was juxtaposed with I was watching. Um, do you remember Brad McMahon? He was my youth pastor at Flatirons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude from Kentucky, nice guy. He he's back in in Kentucky now, I think, and or Tennessee or something. He's a pastor of a church and. Um, I'm still friends with him on Facebook and I was sort of watching, I was watching their live stream and I watched like, you know, the first 10 minutes of this worship session. And I was like, man, this is bad. Like, this is really, ugh. like it, I just didn't like it. I thought it was like cheesy and cringy and yeah, I just was like, ah, is this what it, is this what it always was? Like, is this what I was doing? Cause I don't feel like it was. No, and it's then, not what you were doing. And then I watched Uncle Mark and Mikey do this song that I think was a Hillsong song or maybe it was something else, but it was such a great song. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So there's still, there's still good worship music out there. Um, yeah. Thank something for that um because yeah whatever i saw at brad's church brad i hope you're not listening to this but if you are uh pick some different songs open the eyes of my heart lord is is no longer hit um so dad tell us a little bit about uh unless you have anything else that you want to add to your to your story so to speak tell us you know maybe you want to tell us all like who your favorite son is and why it's me um, but if you don't, <laughs> if you don't want to tell us a little bit about this, this book that you wrote and, and why you wrote sure. it and, and all that. Um, I have a work colleague named Simon Hart. Uh, we work together. We don't now, but, uh, we did, and we've known each other for a long time. I used to tell people, Simon is the most urbane guy I know. Uh, in fact, uh, we've known each other, like I said, we've known each other a long time. When my wife turned 40, I called Simon. He was living in the Bay area. I said, Simon, what's your favorite restaurant? And he said, hey, it's the Larkspur Inn in Larkspur, California. Cool. I'm calling them. I'm taking my wife up there for her 40th birthday. And that's exactly what I did. And I, it was simply amazing. <laughs> he was dead on. Anyway, he came to me and he said, I got this idea to write a book. We'll call it uh, Your Corporate Coach or something like that. And we brainstormed 43 tips to give to newbies in the corporate world to get ahead. And it, uh, we wrote it and it sat in our computers. And then we, I have a friend here in San Clemente whose daughter helped somebody else uh, self-publish a book. I thought, oh, well, let's just finish this thing and self-publish it. So I connected with her and I paid her some money to help me edit it. And she was like, you know, I don't really think that much of your book. I don't think it's that good. I don't really want to take advice from dudes who look like my dad. <laughs> I, I totally get that. 
Damn. Um, Mic drop. Yeah, I know. Totally. But I, I thought, okay, fair enough. Anyway, she bailed out on me. Then I hired another editor and thought, and I told them, okay, I think I've got it now. It's called seven things you ought to know to climb the corporate ladder. Let our pain be your gain. Because it's a great title. She sent out query letters to people. This is two years ago. Send out these query letters to, to, um, uh, agents, book agents who would be interested in this. So I sent out 60 query letters and everyone is unique because every agent has a different requirement. I need a letter with this information. I need that information. Everyone's different. I got, and they all said, if you don't hear from us in 60 days, take that as a no. But within three weeks, I got 40 no's. Hey, very interesting, but no, was the, the general gist of it. Mm -hmm. So there's then two alternatives. One is to self-publish. And honestly, I've seen a bunch of self-published books. And I'm not commenting on the content. It's They look like somebody put it together themselves. And the second is you can do this thing called hybrid publishing, where you engage a publisher and you pay them. Mm -hmm. Uh, some upfront money, <clears throat> they take less on the back end. So that's what we did. So what's the book? Um, then the book title changed. It's now called The Right Start, Build Your Brand, Survive and Thrive in the Corporate World. And the idea is that when you first start working, you're just trying to survive. You're trying to figure it out. Where do I get lunch? How, what's this insurance thing? How to how does this work? How does I cannot work? tell you how many days I spent my first year working at Oracle sitting in my cubicle thinking to myself, what could I possibly be meant to do right now? <laughs> exactly. As a, especially <laughs> I was in sales. So I was just sitting there like, yeah. all right, I made my calls this morning and, uh, you know, I don't want to ask my manager, like, what am I supposed to do? Because that makes me look like an idiot. But I'm sort of looking around at everyone else and wondering, like, doesn't really seem like anyone else is doing anything. And it's just like, it's this whole, yeah, it was, it was confusing. Yeah. So we, it's, it's about survive things that you need to know to survive things you need to know about yourself. Like learning about yourself is a good thing. Understanding. I, I I'll give a shout out to Andrew. He, he had a sales job. About 10 months into that sales job, he called me up and said, I'm, I'm quitting my job. I'm moving to Portland. I know there was a girlfriend involved, and I know it's beautiful Portland was involved as well. I said, what are you doing? You're working for this big company. You got a good gig. You're making decent money. He said, I don't want to be like the guys who've been here for 15 years and have sold their soul. They got mortgages. They got car payments. They got kids in private school. They're making three bills and they can't leave. I'm not going to be that guy. And you knew yourself early enough to know that. I, most people don't. 95% of the people out there who start working wouldn't have sorted that out like you did. Um, so it's, it's about that. Um, it talks about how to be part of a team, what makes a good team member, how you support others. Uh, how you handle things when things go bad. I, there's a chapter called what happens when your team car becomes a clown car. It's one of my favorite chapters because I've been in many, many clown cars and it's pretty bad. Can you and expand then, upon that particularly? Yeah. 
can I expand upon it? Sure. Um, when you, when you work with others, there's, there's two things sometimes that happen. One is people have an agenda to put people down to make themselves look better, to a lot say negative things to make themselves look better because pessimism sounds profound and optimism sounds superficial. Um, and sometimes people wow. are just really Wait, crappy just teammates. Say that again because that was – I think that was a pretty interesting yeah. statement. Yeah, it's, it's not mine. It was a written – it's something I took from a – an article in, in Harvard Business Review called The Smart Talk Trap. I don't even remember who wrote it. Uh, but this woman had done some research and said people tend to say negative things because it makes them sound smarter. Pessimism is profound. Optimism sounds superficial. Wow. No <laughs> wonder, something no wonder our world is, is so no, such right? a mess. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. So um, – and then sometimes stuff happens to people. Okay, sometimes they're not bad people. I mean, sometimes, you know, they got bad news. Uh, they didn't get the promotion. Uh, you know, they found out Spider-Man just got beat up by Doc Ock. I don't, you don't know really what it is. I thought is. you were going to say they found out Spider-Man isn't real. And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, that's, maybe. Uh, that's, yeah, you're right. I'll have to save that for the second edition. Anyway, thank you, Andrew. Uh so it talks a little bit about having grace for people. It also talks about not confronting the bullies because that's a disaster. Unless you are uh, trained at the United Nations in the fine art of, of aggressive debate, when somebody tries to bully you or push you around, uh, if you confront them, you're going down. Yeah, and you give them it, some power. I have a friend. Yeah. I have a friend right now who has a sort of like – bully uh team member and i've dealt with this a little bit too and my experience is yeah if you sort of can just play it cool for a while eventually that person gets found out as being like everyone sees their bullshit and then they're left just pounding sand um yeah. but if you yeah if you try to like confront it head on um yeah it creates this whole this whole thing yeah. so well that's exactly right i mean everybody does eventually get found out and i it's interesting because I, I use um, I would use some football coaches as as the metaphors for that, although there are plenty of people in the business world. And you can start with the king of kings on that. That's Bernie Madoff. But uh, there was a football coach at Ohio State who said, I'm a builder of men. That is my job. I'm turning these boys into men. Great. I'm sure he was trying to do that. But while he was doing that, uh a bunch of his guys were selling their trinkets and stuff and their Ohio State football stuff, which you're not supposed to do, so they could get tattoos. And he was signing off uh, on these NCAA sheets that, that you know they were doing nothing wrong when he knew that these guys were doing that. I mean, he just got caught in a bad thing, and it cost him his job. And that was a, that was a glaring thing. People do this all the time. It just, you know, they say they're something that they're really not. I mean, need I give a, you know, the biggest orange example in the, <laughs> in the world now? <laughs> uh, right. So um, I think, you know, we, we put the book together. I think it has my, it, and Simon is a fantastic guy. 
So he is, we're very much aligned, I think, in how we think and look at the world and how we viewed our careers and how we've dealt with people. I feel that has my, uh, some of my um, follower of Jesus vibe in there. I will say that. Uh, the very we we put quotes in front of every chapter. I love Shakespeare, so it's got my Shakespeare quotes. Simon found some great quotes from guys like Steve Jobs and others. Uh, the very first quote, uh, which is often attributed to C.S. Lewis, but really was said by Rick Warren, is uh, humility is not. Uh, I'm going to read it to you because I think it's important. It's a great quote. Uh, yeah, I got to find it, but it's. It's um here. I, I got it right here. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got it. Oh, I got it. I got it. <laughs> here we go. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And a pretty good one. It's a good. It's a good quote. And I, uh, I think that. Um, so for me, it was kind of an opportunity to do that, and. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with it. We, we put it out yesterday. We got to, uh, we, we became Amazon bestsellers <laughs> because we were number one in new release for uh, career advice and job hunting. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's, a, so it's it. you know, it's an important time. I mean, uh, or I guess it's a, it's very timely. Um, I think there's a lot of people looking for jobs right now, or maybe looking to start a new career. Uh, you know, our last guest was talking, he's down in Sacramento. He was talking about how he was like, dude, so many of my friends, and he's, he's almost 40. Um, and I think he's got sort of a corporate gig. Um, but he was like, so many of my friends are just like, this pandemic has forced them to be like, to sort of face themselves and be like, am I actually doing what I want to be doing? And I think a lot of people are sort of like, Maybe it's time for me to make a, a shift. But the thing is, if you're going to make a shift, um, you're likely going to be starting either at or near the bottom. Um, so if you like one of my friends um, here in Portland named Katie, um, she we worked together at, at Zones and then we worked together at Learning.com. And she was, you know, she worked in the service industry. She was a, a waitress at a really fancy restaurant here in Portland. She made good money. I mean, she was pushing, you know, she was in her 20s making like almost six figures as a waitress um, wow. at this fancy restaurant. But she was like, this is, you know, this is sort of a, a crazy lifestyle. And, um, you know, there's in, in the sort of like fine dining thing in Portland, there's, there can be a good amount of misogyny and all these things. And she was like, I think I want something different for myself. And, but in order to do that, she had to, you know, at eight, I think she was maybe like 27 or 28. She had to start at the very bottom as just like a sales <laughs> associate at this kind of bullshit scrub tech company. Um, and, and it worked out for her. And now she has her own, you know, she's running her own business um, that does sort of like um, diversity and inclusion, like consulting. But um, she would have never landed where she is now because she wouldn't have learned anything from six years of corporate experience. You know, like you, she needed she needed some time. And I'm sure she learned some things from the restaurant industry, too. But she needed some time sort of like yeah, being able to glean some things. Um, and I think she was sort of, uh, you know, maybe a fast track, but, um, yeah. And 
certainly some things sort of broke her way, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's important to, to sort of like frame for people what, what to expect when they're going to be starting sort of, you know, from scratch with something new. Yeah. It's, it's, it can't be easy. And it's in this time right now, it's very, very difficult. I understand that. I feel for people, feel for people coming out who've got, um, educational debt. Uh, I feel for people trying to get a job where it's, you know, you're trying to meet people remotely. I, I think there's nothing that takes the place of a face-to-face meeting with somebody. So it's hard. Uh, but, uh, the book is intended just to help people who, who do land the job to, to, uh, positively stand out amongst their peers in, in a good way. Cause it, you can, you can positively stand out in a bad way too. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I think it's very cool. Obviously people need to hear it from different different people too and different different ways of saying it because there's obviously you know other books on how to be successful within business and everything so i think it's always uh you know it's always necessary to keep keep things like that coming out and um i'm curious to uh your own personal framework you talk about framework on on in a part of this. And I'm curious, like what is important to your own personal framework that, that kind of keeps you driven to, to do something like this at this stage of your life? Cause you are, you're obviously a, a busy guy. So you're throwing this at it and you've obviously been kind of sitting on this for a while and trying to figure out how to get it released. So yeah. Where does yeah. That, all, all that come from? Um, you know, again, it's a journey. It's a great question. Uh, it's a journey. And, um, you know, my journey in building my career uh, was very self-centered, I will say, uh, in, in many ways. Uh, but I realized uh, probably seven or eight years ago that there were two things that I was really interested in. One was working with our clients and helping them make the world a better place. I'm an environmental engineer. I do water and wastewater projects. I feel like that's benefiting society and I wanted to do that. That's why I got into it in the first place. And the second thing I really like, and in addition to wanting to do that, I felt like I was pretty good at client service. I understood it because I'd been a national director of client service for my company. So I put a lot of time into sorting out what that means. And I liked it. I liked working with clients. So it was something I thought was good for society and that I liked. And then the other thing, the second thing, was I wanted to help uh, people build careers. I like working. I much prefer working with the 20 and 30 year olds. I don't, I don't as much like working with dudes my age. <laughs> we're obnoxious. Uh, we're stubborn. We think we know everything. <laughs> and I realize that I'd much rather work with people who want to learn because I'd like to teach. So given those two big things, um, that's, that was a driver for me on the book, uh, that drive, that was a driver for me to change jobs, which I did earlier this year, uh, and go to work for a smaller company where I could have a much bigger impact and where they were welcoming me to work with their clients because they, they saw benefit. So, sure. 
Well, I think yeah. something that's interesting about, and, and this isn't to put words in your mouth, but um, I think it's safe to say from what I, from what I understand that your you have had a successful career by all means, but your initial idea of success when you started your career or maybe even 10 years into your career was not what, where you've landed is, is not what you pictured. Um, and so I think that that brings sort of an interesting perspective in terms of like, what is success? And, and I think what you just mentioned sort of lands on that. And it, a, a big piece of that is like, are you doing something that I, that you actually care about? Um, yeah. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, like, yeah, it could be as simple as just like, I like working with people or I like mentoring people. You can still mentor people if you are running a coffee shop, you know, like it, it doesn't have to be always have to be like, and I'm working for a company that's saving the world. Um, yeah, there are, there are different ways to sort of serve humanity from within whatever you're doing. So. Yeah. No, no, I think that's a great observation. In fact, I would take that one step further because you're absolutely right. And I would tell you that probably up until, I don't know, 2010, 11, 12, I thought I still could be the president of the water of, you know, North America or, you know, have some big fancy title. And I thought that was success. And I realized it's not, and it really, it's not. And I've worked on big projects in LA, in Indianapolis, in San Francisco, in Europe, in, in Australia, that, that's really not success. Success is, is your legacy. It's, it's the people's lives you've touched positively. I don't know any other way to define it for me. I know there's other people who think that you have to be the CEO of the world's biggest company to be successful. I, I think, uh, you have to look at Proverbs and Solomon said it's vanity. It's all vanity in that is vanity. It's it, it all disappears. Right. Yeah. I want to leave something behind. Sure. And, and you know, and you know what you put into it. Only, you know, like what kind of effort you put into these things and yeah. How much of yourself you apply to it. Right. Yeah. You know, Dan, I mean, it's a good point, it, but it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. You put, you do what you do. You put in the effort you put in. I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to brag. I don't want to brag about it. I don't want to call attention to myself. In fact, when I, the other night before the book launched, it was Sunday night. I had, I, you know, the publisher told me, you got to get something out. You got to get emails out. Okay. Send emails out. You know, thank you, Andrew, for buying a copy of the book. Uh, then they said, Hey, make sure you get something out on LinkedIn and Facebook. Like, okay, so it's nine o'clock on Sunday night. I've just finished watching something on Netflix. I'm like, I got to go upstairs and sit down at the computer and get something on Netflix and Facebook. So what did I do? I came upstairs. I sat down at the computer. I started playing games. I played games for about 45 minutes. I closed the game and said, I got to get this out on Facebook and LinkedIn. Nope, I'm going to play games a little more. Play games for another 15 minutes. I said, okay, uh, now I got to get to bed. I'm tired. It's late. It took me two minutes to put out the things on. I can't. I have a really hard time putting myself out there. I don't like it. I'd much rather be talking about other people. I'd much rather be talking about what you guys are doing. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. And I, I guess the point of my story is it's just not me to do that. 
I, so that's why, you know, I'm playing mindless games. I did kill quite a few space invaders, though, so I think we're safe. <laughs> well, I think Dan, as the uh, former, you know, manager of my of, of my ex band here in Portland, uh, can attest to. I I'm very much the same way in terms of the things that I create. Um, I just like to create them, and I hope that people enjoy them and that it serves them. But um, when it comes to the like self promotion. I don't, I don't have that one in me, and I guess I got that from you. So thanks a lot, Dad. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that, brother. <laughs> awesome. It's not the fun part of it, that's for sure. No, it's not. It's definitely not. But some people uh, seem to have no problem with just being like in your – Dude, I, I played a show with this guy, like Hammerhead's like second show ever was with this guy, Adrian Ballou, who's a great fingerstyle guitar player. Um, he's based out of Sacramento now. I still sometimes get, I've, ne- I've never met this guy outside of this one show that we played together. I don't even know how he has my phone number. I guess I gave it to him for some reason. I still get text messages from him sometime being like, come to my show in Sacramento. I'm like, dude, I live in Port. You're just texting everybody in your phone to say, come to my show. Oh my God. Like I can't yeah. imagine, but yeah, some people are cool with it. You know, they're just like, ah, eh, whatever. I don't want to say that's the wrong way to go about it, but I feel like that's the wrong way to, to go the about pro- it. the proselytizing thing. Like yeah. it's not, it's not a uh, super welcoming. You want people to come. You want people to come to it naturally. I think that that's Sh- uh, sharing it and like saying that this is going on. I feel like, like to a general platform is, is maybe a little differently but, for sure uh, for sure i love yeah. their, it's weird to just reach out to strangers like that i think though to be like hey you should come to this like you're <laughs> indeed you're available tonight right indeed um, uh, but yeah well next time i'm i'm down in san clemente dad I'll, I'll have you sign my copy of your book so i can and I'll bring it back up to portland <laughs> with your signature yeah. Um, and yeah, appreciate you being willing to, uh, share your story a little bit and share, I guess your, you know, journey with all things life, so to speak, and and how it kind of led you to, to this moment. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to see you, Andrew, Dan, great talking to you. Love to both of you guys. Be well, be safe. Absolutely. Really appreciate your time. It's very cool. I, I think I think one of the cool things about developing like long term friendships is my opportunity that I've gotten to like meet people's parents and develop some sort of association or relationship with them too. I think it like it always uh sheds some interesting light like on on those people that you know. So it's uh it's very cool to get to talk to you for a, a good amount of time and, and understand where you come from. Thank you. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks guys for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. We'll put, all, we'll put all the links in the episode notes so people can uh, find find the book if they're thank you interested. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right. All right. Awesome. Guys. Groovy. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I'll talk to you later, Dad. Okay. Thanks again. <laughs> all right. Bye. Hey now. Oh. Oh, on this great. on this week's installment of things I never thought would happen, we did it. That was great. Yeah, it was great. It was good. It's interesting. There were a couple things in my dad's story that I was like, huh. I thought like I thought my grandma came to America much younger for some reason. Um anyways, just little things like that. Um it is a trip to me 
that my dad yeah so my dad's my grand my grandfather my dad's dad was like 55 when my dad was born right it's wild it wild. is yeah it's pretty crazy i mean my dad is like in his you know early 60s now so if he was 55 when i was born i would be like i would be like set seven you know so yeah it's yeah. just it's it's wild um i did think you that, even, did you even meet him no he died when i was maybe uh he lived a long life but he died when i was like very very young i think in my first right. my first two years first year or two years of life um he passed so he got to meet me but i never i never truly met him um i, mean, I did spend a lot been. of time a good amount of time with my grandma on my dad's side but she she passed when i was like 14 um she was a cool lady though um very thick austrian accent that was very endearing and a great uh cook she or you know she instilled in me a, a love of wiener schnitzel um but yeah i think you know i i haven't heard my dad talk too much about it and i uh was thinking about sort of asking him more about it, but, but ended up not. But I do think the experience of growing up with a dad, especially a dad at that time, like, you know, we're talking about the equivalent of being born in, if I was born in 1990, then having a dad that was born like in the early forties or even in, in the mid thirties, you know? Right. So like really like, and I, I didn't, talk about it i was like you know this is your dad was basically two generations away from you um and I've, I've heard some stories from my mom about sort of like you know what my grandpa was like and i've heard a little bit about it from my dad but not a ton but yeah i think that that sort of like that generational gap was especially big from you know the early 1900s to like the 1970s when my dad was a teenager you know late 60s early 70s like it was it was sort of trippy. So, um, yeah. Did you just keep talking the whole time? Did you see that I, I, I bounced out? Well, you were still, <laughs> there was still a, uh, I was talking that whole time, so it's good, fine. Good. And, and no, you were, great. there was just a frozen version of you. And I thought you were just listening. And then a second version of you popped up on the meeting. And so now I'm looking at two of you and I was like, what are you doing? But anyways, yeah, I, it's fine. I, I was trying to uh, see what had happened. Was uh, I tried to log into our uh, Bible Buds Gmail to make sure that no one had, you know, sent us a message. And because we're using Google Hang, it signed it out. I'm guessing we we don't have any messages. Well, I don't know because I I you know I tried to sign in and then it it booted me from here and mm-hmm. I got mm-hmm. I got scared. Um, so I don't know. I'll have to check on the messages for next week, I guess. I don't know. Big cliffhanger, but keep uh, them coming back. I would encourage some people to send us an email. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. uh, Let us know what you think. Yeah. I really do appreciate your, your dad's like drive though. So it just seems like he does a lot and stays really busy. Dude. If uh, I I had, easy to not do that if i had half the drive that that dude has i would be a fucking senator right now like (laughs) i got yeah i don't know maybe maybe i do have half of it but i definitely i don't know it's not the same he's a uh 
Yeah, like I look at my dad and I'm like, well, you're never going to, I don't see him retiring really. Like maybe he'll retire, but he'll still be like, he'll still be active in, in lots of ways. He just doesn't, he has to be doing, so it's not that he has to be working. I wouldn't call him like a workaholic, but I think he just likes to be, um, yeah, he likes to be productive. I know you know a, a thing or two about that, Daniel. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, it's it's it seems to keep be a good thing for a lot of people to just stay productive and that's like what keeps them in good spirits so and it seems like your dad really does dig into like like wanting to help people on their journey and be whatever he can be to them to to help propel them in that yeah <clears throat> so very good stuff cool well uh, um, I'd say happy 4th of July to you this weekend, but I really, I don't know. I don't know what that means right now. It's a weird time. I feel like. Yeah, uh, I think sort of fuck 4th of July, especially because like, well, I mean, with everything going on, but also like I saw something on Instagram, which I was like, oh man, I haven't thought about that in a while, which was like, basically was like, don't forget on 4th of July that we still have kids in cages at the border. And I was like, ah, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. This country, man. This country. It seems country. like, uh, you know, yeah. It just seems like the freedom is, is very conditional and, and not, not equal to uh, all that uh, are Indeed. supposed to have the benefits Certainly of it. Certainly so, not a freedom uh, worthy of fireworks, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, if you're going to use fireworks, please be safe with them and, uh, you know, just really channel. Yeah, don't be channel. an idiot. Yeah. Don't take them out to the uh, gorge. If you're listening from Vancouver and you're a teenager, yeah. don't take them out to the gorge and burn half the gorge down. You don't want to burn down the goddamn forest because that's not just trees burning in the forest. <laughs> that's right, that's, Daniel. That's a forest burning in, in, in the forest. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm sure we'll return with with more fun for you on this this lovely Bible Buds podcast. And um, be well out there. Indeed. Smoke, pray, love, and don't be a fucking racist. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> and uh, and be actively anti-racist when you can as well. And and yeah. also bless up. That's a good move. Bless up. <laughs>